Chapter One Deadwood Dick. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This reading by Lucy Burgoyne. Deadwood Dick's Doom, or Calamity Jane's Last Adventure, by Edward L. Wheeler. Chapter One Too Late for the Stage. Death Notch. Did you ever hear of a more uninviting name for a place, dear reader? If so, you could not well find a harder role where dwelt humanity than Death Notch along the whole golden slope of the West. It was said that nobody but rascals and rough could exist in that lone mining camp, which was confirmed by the fact that it was seldom the weekly stage brought any one there who had come to settle. Even the government officials, cognizant of the lawlessness within the border of Death Notch, hesitated to interfere, because of the desperate character of the residents hardest of the hard. The town lay in a sort of mountain surrounded basin, on the route from Piachi, Nevada, to Helena, Montana, and had formerly been an Indian camp, until a well-heeled but notorious young gamble named Paiute Dave had come along and driven the Reds away, as he was able to do, having backing of some forty ruffians of his own stamp. There being but a comparative handful of the Reds, they had been scattered when Paiute Dave and his gang went to prospecting and in a short time discovered paying dirt. Since that the population had gradually increased to a hundred and fifty people, nearly all of the ruffian type, and all under the order of the man, Piute Dave, who ruled as king over the others. In the days when the Indians had held possession, the town had been called Saquo. Afterward it had been named Golden Eagle, until a few months passed, when, by vote, it had been rechristened Death Notch. Of course, there was a reason for this, a reason both peculiar and striking. When the Indians had been driven forth, their chief, Red Hatchet, had declared vengeance upon the pale-faced two intruders, and cursed the town, vowing to kill off every pale-face who should enter it and to mark each death by a notch upon the council pole. This pole was tall young pine that grew just as the edge of the town, and around which it had been the custom of the tribe to hold council. Nor had the chief lied. For several years he and the member of his tribe had waged upon the usurpers, and a score or more had bit the dust, and a notch upon the council tree had recorded each stroke of vengeance. But, as Piute Dave constantly added new roughs to his gang, the Indians also gradually diminished, until no more death notches had appeared upon the tree. This state of affairs had continued until about three weeks before our story opens when a placard had been found tacked to the council tree bearing the following message. Beware, Red Hatchet is not yet gone the way of his forefather. 
but lives to wreak vengeance upon the town of Death Notch. In the interval of silence he has only been recruiting his fury. Red Hatchet. With the name Death Notch, Paiute Dave seemed strangely impressed, and at once ordered that the town of Golden Eagle be henceforth known as Death Notch. Death Notch gloried in one important fact. It was the midway stage station between Helena and Paiuchi, and the terminus of two stage lines. All traffic from Paiuchi to Helena, or vice versa, had to be transferred at Death Notch from one stage or freight line to another. As a result, the arrivals and departure of stages being very irregular, it was a thing for passengers or freight to be laid off at Death Notch for a number of days. It was a delay that very few relished, who knew the bad repute of the place, but there was no help for it except for passengers to go on afoot through a bowling wilderness. The Wednesday stage of the second week of September whirled down into Death Notch about noon from the Mount in Trail and drew up before the poker house with a noisy rumble for the poker house was the only hostelry afforded transient patronage at Death Notch. Change keys for Helena, yelled out Buck Piper, the driver, and then he threw the ribbons to one of the several bleary-eyed-looking pilgrims who were standing in front of the tavern sunning themselves, and made for the liquor department to moisten his throat, leaving his fares to take care of themselves. There were but two passengers today, and they at once disembarked from the stage upon the plank wall in front of the poker house. They were widely at contrast in appearance, though evidently travelling companions, the one being a pretty young lady, while the other was a long gourd, loosely constructed coloured man of the darkest ray serene. The young lady evidently was not over seventeen or eighteen years of age, but was the possessor of a fine figure and prettily chiselled features, set off by starry black eyes and wavy brown hair. She was attired with a long ulster duster over her dress, a silk scarf about her throat, and a veiled hat upon her head, and was by all odds the trimmest little craft that had anchored in Death Notch in many a day. The darky was a very sable individual, with a genuine negro physique from the thick-lipped mouth of huge dimensions to the rolling ludicrous eyes and light curling hair. His feet, too, were of extraordinary size, while the rest of his person seemed hastily constructed and loose-pointed in the extreme. He was attired in white-legged plaid pantaloons, too short at the waist and feet by half a foot, a white vest and white shirt, with wide cuffs and collar, a swallow-tailed coat cut tight at the waist and a white silk hat, somewhat the worse for bad usage. In his hand he carried a bag containing an instrument shaped very much like a banjo, 
the young lady earned a small hand satchel. On leaving the stagecoach, the strangely contrasted pair paused a moment as if in doubt which way to go, and the young lady turned to one of the low-browed, villainous-looking pilgrims lounging on a bench before the tavern. "'Can you tell me, sir, how long before the stage will leave for Helena?' she asked in a pleasant voice. "'No, mum, I reckon not,' the address party said. "'Cause how I don't know. There comes Hank Shakespeare, the poet. However maybe he can put you on to what you want to know.' And he indicated a tall, raw-boned individual who was approaching a man who looked as though he might be the possessor of a great deal of brute strength and dog courage, especially the latter, for he was swarthy and ugly of countenance, wearing a stubble of beard and long matted hair, while his brows were shaggy and his eyes evil and bloodshot. He was attired in stoggy boots, dirty patched overalls and overshirt abatted, shapeless plug hat, minus the rim, while in a belt about his waist he wore four large-sized revolvers and a bowie. Anything but a poet looked the big bullwhacker, and the young lady was discussing, no doubt, this when he came up and paused to take a survey of her the coon. Hello, a nigger and a gal, eh? Well, let's all shout and rejoice. We hear a female's voice. Howdy-do, ma'am. Going to settle here? We're just needing a woman in this here camp. Cause how, you see, when their boys want to go courting, they've got to court one another. No, I am going to settle here, the young woman replied, quite promptly. I wish to find out what time the stage leaves for Helena. Helena? Why, bless you, ma'am. Their next stage won't go for a week, I allow, cause how she started six hours ago. No stage for next Wednesday, sure. An exclamation of disappointment escaped the young lady. Oh, that is too bad. I wouldn't have missed reaching Helena for a good deal. Is there no way I can overtake the stage, sir? Reckon not, miss, unless you hoof it, and I opine ye wouldn't catch it. Then, if your feet was as large as their niggers, I reckon you might do it for. N. Dexter could not compete with that fragrant coon's feet and stand any show a winnin' their heat. No, mum, I allow your best halt is to stop right here in Death Notch till next stage. I cannot afford to. It seems I must reach Helena one way or another. Cannot we hire saddle horses or purchase them, even in order that we may overtake the stage? Nary a boss, their only thing with four legs, said Piper's team, is a pair of oxen. At this juncture the thirsty Piper appeared upon the scene, wiping his mouth from a recent lubrication in the shape of a bootleg. Oh, sir, cannot I prevail upon you to take us on until we overtake the Helena stage? The girl said, turning to him appealingly. We have an engagement to fulfill and must be in Helena by Saturday night, or throw it up. 
Sorry, Mum, but my route don't go no further than here, and I can't accommodate ya. The worthy piper piped, taking a chew of tobacco. But I will pay you for it. I'll give you dollars if you will put us on board the Helena stage. Couldn't take me with a hundred dollars, Mum, for I ain't in Neederton. You can get accommodations Poker Jack's Ranch till next week, and I allow of your kin flip their boards right purty without hiding their ace up your sleeve. Their boys won't let you get lonesome. I don't thank you for your assurance, sir, was the haughty reply. Come, Nick, let's see if we can get a room. And they entered the office, which also served the purpose of bar and gambling room. A score or more of ruffian-looking fellows were lounging about, but one among the lot, more professing than the rest, arose and came forward as the two travellers entered. He was dressed in white woolen garments, with white shirt and collar, slippers upon his feet, and a round red smoking cap upon his head. In form he was of graceful build, while he was not bad-looking in face, except for a habitual wicker glitter of his black eyes, and a faint cynical expression which lurked under his graceful moustache. "'Excuse me, but did you wish to see me?' he said on approaching. "'If you are the proprietor, yes, sir,' the girl replied, a little timidly. "'Yes, if you'd be the boss, we'd gwin to tax you. Have you proper accommodations for two first-class gusts?' the darky put in, with a considerable amount of airiness. "'No, no, not gust. You mean guest, Nick,' the girl interrupted." Yes, guest, that's it. Without perpetual precontemplation, I accidentally absented one bow from the syllable. You see, boss, as the stage done went off and left us, we wants to engage apartments and superlative substance whereon to subsist for several days henceforth until the next vehicle, the Puringotes, dis your way. Ah, yes, I understand. You wish first-class accommodations, which I can furnish. My name is Poker Jack, at your service, and if you will register, I will show you to a couple of rooms. They accordingly went to a desk and registered their names in a book kept for that purpose, the darky as Nicodemus Johnson, star comedian, the young lady as Miss Virgie Verner, of New York. Then Poker Jack escorted them to a suite of rudely furnished rooms, upstairs, just over the large bar and gambling room. If you would be so kind, we would prefer our meals sent to our rooms, Miss Verner said. As you like, Miss, have you any baggage? My baggage will be along on the freight wagon, sir. Then Poker Jack bowed himself out. After he had gone, the girl called in the darky from the adjoining room. Nick, she said, we shall have trouble in his place. Mark my word. All our men here, and the most evil, repulsive-looking lot I ever came across. Spect you're right, Miss Virgie, but you've just bet your life 
dey doesn't want to come fooling around dis child, or I'll carve em up bad. I summon a half when I see mad. But, allowing that we are both brave, what could we do against such overwhelming odds? Should they offer to harm us? Oh, why did we venture here? We shall surely be followed by the human bloodhound, my enemy, and God only knows what evil he can do in this place, where the people look capable of any terrible crime. Oh, I am so tired, so weary of this hunted life. The freight wagon arrived soon after the stage, and unloaded two trunks in front of the poker house. Upon the end of one was pasted part of a theatre bill, which read, Miss Virgie Verner, the charming vocalist and musician. On the other trunk was the other part of the proclaiming reading, Nicodemus Johnson, banjoist and dancer. A crowd of bystanders stood, read, and pondered over these little announcements, Hank Shakespeare among the rest. Yes, siree, Bob Tailhoss buys them's a pair of show people. Goin' to Helena, and they reckon they can slight us cusses here, at Death Notch, by not having their sarcasses here. But they can't not forget Jim. I tell you what, I purpose we trot em down into the bar-room, opaca Jack's crib, to-night, and make em give us a show, as well as their fellas at Helena. What do you say? Bulldog Ben barks yes. A little disgusting-looking ruffian cried, and the whole gang chimed in assent. Therefore it was as good as settled that something was to occur. End of chapter 1